United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Do they want to have a state? Do they want to have a better life? If they do, we have created a framework for them to have it, and we're going to treat them in a very respectful manner. If they don't, then they're going to screw up another opportunity like they've screwed up every other opportunity that they've ever had in their existence. That is Jared Kushner, son-in-law to the president, supposedly one of the key persons involved in putting together this president. The president calls it a great deal of the century Middle East peace plan. The question is, and we've heard the similar rhetoric from the president as to whether or not this is actually going to work on the Palestinians. They've already said a definite no, but let's get into this. It's a little more complex than just what you hear play out with the bumper sticker phrases being tossed about. We're talking about the deal of the century and joining us is Lucy Kurtzer, Ellen Bogan, director of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict program at the United States Institute of Peace. The Twitter handle is at USIP. Lucy, welcome back. Thank you for being on POTUS today. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me. Much has been made about uh, whether or not this was dead on arrival, whether the Palestinians should have been involved or not. Let's let's take it step by step if we can. First of all, what was it that was presented yesterday by the president? Well, what we saw yesterday was um, a plan that, as the president himself said, was certainly more detailed than anything that has been presented before on this. And it was a plan that, to the surprise of many, nodded to um, a type of two-state formula, which was, you know, not something that many had assumed it would do. Um, It is a detailed blueprint when you go through the pages offering um, some technical solutions for navigating uh, questions that would certainly come up in trying to implement the vision that they have put out. Um, But in its current form, uh, one is hard pressed to see how it serves as a formula or a basis for bringing both parties back to the table. Uh, in essence, what was presented yesterday was uh, presented as benefits that one side, the Israelis, were able to reap uh, immediately following presentation of the plan, whereas the benefits that are laid out for the Palestinians, which uh, is this vision of a state or a state at the end of a four-year process, after which they have met a series of preconditions, um, that remains conditional um, on, on uh, what happens going forward, whether or not they come to the table, and again, whether they meet these conditions that were set out for them. So the Israelis kind of get a signing bonus. What specific immediate benefits do they enjoy as a result of this? Well, what the, um, what, where the plan leaned heavily towards um, Israeli positions was uh, in saying that Israel would get to uh, apply sovereignty to annex um, all uh, Jewish settlements that currently uh, exist in the West Bank. And what was uh, suggested yesterday was that that was something they could go ahead and start to work on immediately. There was a suggestion that a committee, a joint, it seemingly U.S.-Israel committee, would be set up to, to sort of go into what the details of that exactly would look like. But what uh, it means and what was stipulated is, is that there would be Uh, no requirement for any settlement or settlers to move uh, under the vision of this plan. Um, And uh, something that had not been assumed in previous uh, formulas. Again, Lucy Kurtzer, Ellen Bogan, director of the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict Program at the United States Institute of Peace, joining us here on POTUS. So the Israelis say this is great, um, and, and Prime Minister Netanyahu congratulating the president, President Trump saying it's the deal of the century, the Palestinians are saying no. 
What is other reaction outside of this, and how would that influence whether or not it is actually of greater significance? Well, that's um, a great and important question, and those reactions uh, are unfolding. I think what you've seen overall is actually um, a reluctance uh, by other key uh, actors to push back too heavily yet on the plan. I think you've been seeing reactions ranging from uh, a tepid welcome, in some cases, of the effort to um, something that reaffirms long-held positions on the conflict, uh, two states, something that can be mutually negotiable, to um, at their strongest, again, we're talking about from actors here who've typically been a part of helping mediate um, uh, these uh, solutions along with the United States, you've heard some uh, sounding caution against unilateral actions being taken, um, specifically looking at the idea that Israel might go ahead and begin to annex. The strongest reaction that you've seen um, coming from key Arab allies in the Arab world has been Jordan's reaction, which affirmatively came out cautioning against uh, unilateral actions. And this is not surprising. Jordan perhaps has uh, the most to lose here and the most uh, uh, concern about what may play out um, over the coming weeks and months on this. But perhaps uh, surprisingly and something interesting to watch is that some other Arab states, um, including Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, um, Qatar, and to some extent Egypt, you've seen a cautious welcome of uh, U.S. efforts or uh, to, to try to um, do something positive to bring the parties back to the table. And actually, um, these states have come out and encouraged both parties, obviously including therefore the Palestinians, to come to the table and see this as a basis for negotiation. Lucy, I wonder if the last time we got maybe closer was under President Bill Clinton at the time. Yasser Arafat, uh, the PLO leader, rejected the plan, and that pretty much put the kibosh on it. I wonder, is is the Palestinian Authority in a position, the same kind of position of strength that it had at the time? In other words, are the partners equals and opposites, those in the negotiations, the Israelis and the Palestinians, are they are they seen that way? Is, is it Do they have that much strength? Give us a sense of the relative strengths of the two. No, look, this is um, there, there's a, um, a significant um, imbalance of the strengths of the parties. The Palestinian leadership is in a very weak position. And in some sense, what you've seen play out here is some calculations along these lines. I think uh, embedded in this vision uh, is an assumption that the Palestinians don't have, don't seem to have a lot of cards to play at this point. They are divided politically uh, between a West Bank and Gaza leadership. Um, they have uh, little legitimacy, and uh, both Hamas leadership in Gaza and the Fatah leadership in the West Bank have little uh, legitimacy or popularity um, among their own uh, people. Um, and so they're really not uh, coming at this or coming to this uh, for the position of strength. Interestingly, perhaps ironically, in the same way that we saw the lead up to this plan and the invasion of this plan bring two Israeli political rivals together, Benny Gantz and Benjamin Netanyahu, um, what we've actually seen since yesterday is this plan, if nothing else, bring Hamas and Fatah together. They are reported to be meeting in a rare joint meeting in Ramallah on Tuesday to discuss reactions uh, to the plan. Um, but at this point in time, the Palestinians are, are not uh, coming at this from a position of strength. One last question on this, uh, Lucy, and then I note David Sanger, his analysis in the New York Times, two allies draw a map with voters in mind. This was the headline. It's essentially, he says, about two elections, Prime Minister Netanyahu 
is facing a, a challenge and trying to figure out exactly if he's going to get yet another turn at the wheel for the Israeli government. Of course, President Trump facing a re-election challenge in 2020 in November of this year. So it does, whether you agree or with that or not, but it does strike me that anybody who's involved in this is certainly not going to feel pressure to get something done before those elections are decided. Right. I mean, the, the, um, one certainly can't uh, ignore the timing in that regard. And, you know, uh, despite the fact that uh, President Trump noted yesterday that peace should be um, above or beyond politics, obviously domestic politics on all sides are front and center um, in the consideration of, of uh, what will play out as notable as well that uh, in Israel there is yet a third election uh, slated to come up on March uh, 2nd which will perhaps at this time determine who will be the Prime Minister um, of uh, Israel which also constrains this is now the third election they'll be having in a year and of course that will also constrain perhaps what uh, Netanyahu is able to push through before that election um, and what we might see happen there by way of unilateral actions in response to the plan. I do appreciate your being here. Lucy, thanks so much for joining us on POTUS this morning. You're very welcome. Lucy Kurtzer-Ellenbogen, Director of the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict Program at the United States Institute of Peace, showing you why we need people like that to help us understand this is much more than just the simple slogans you're hearing tossed about in the coverage of something like this. The president calls it the deal of the century. It's not being accepted or at least received so graciously by the Palestinians. The Israelis are embracing, but it's a lot more than that. We'll have to continue to watch over time. The Twitter handle for Lucy, by the way, is at USIP. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.